Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40-pay competitive podcast about giving you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on the left are, I guess, you're still the good podcast host, aren't you, Shaylin Allen? I would hope I'm still good. All right, uh... Ben, are you prepared to be the evil podcast host? Do you think you can take over that duty for us? Well, I do have the mustache and beard, so... Ooh, excellent, excellent. Is it a waxed mustache? It is not, unfortunately. It's a goatee, though. Mmm, okay. Goatee's close enough. Yeah, goatee and mustache will definitely do the trick. All right, so this is Ben Jurek, our brand new evil podcast host. Uh, What are your evil bona fides, Ben? What would you you say really qualifies you, aside from the goatee, obviously? Well, my evil bona fides is... Well, I don't really know what makes me bad or evil, per se. Hmm, a perennial question, really. (laughs) Um, but, I mean, I guess I can be a little bit more sarcastic and a little meaner than some, some folks, okay. and I'm willing to call people out on particular things, and I might even call you guys out, so I no. guess that makes me, e- I guess I could be evil if I go against my own podcast hosts. Yeah, we'll take that. Uh, what would you say are your 40k bona fides? I mean, obviously, uh, I know you reasonably well, as we've we've played a little bit, and I've seen your name up in the rankings of more than a handful of tournaments, uh, but for, for people who aren't familiar with you, what are your, your 40k bona fides? Wait, 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 wait. Oh. It's orcs, right? It's orcs. It, it's orcs. Yes. yes. <laughs> as far as 40k bona fides go, um, I'm, I'm new to the scene. I'm recent. I only started playing, um, as of, uh, 2017 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm new to the ranks. Um, but as far as my bona fides, uh, I took index orcs at the beginning of 8th. Um, or middle of eighth, I should say, uh, up until they got their codex, and I was one of the top orc scorers during that time when no one was playing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when their codex came out, I stayed, still stayed in that top uh, bracket of orc players, and I even uh, innovated my own fancy list that a lot of people liked. Yay! <laughs> I was going to say, I would definitely rank you as one of the best innovators of the, the orc players, because in a time when basically everyone was just sort of running the evil sons bunches of boys and ludas and other stuff behind it you were really like branching out into the other sub factions and doing some interesting stuff there yeah there there some of that comes from a like a collective or a hive mind of work players uh is what kind of invented the first couple of lists but i kind of took off on my own for that one specifically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no shame there yeah so this episode, we are kind of jumping back into things after having been gone for a little bit and talking about something that I think is on a lot of people's minds, not just right now, but pretty consistently, which is mission packs. Uh, for anyone who travels around to tournaments and does any amount of competitive play, really, uh, reading mission packs can be a bit of a roller coaster. And really horrible when you don't do, because that happened to me at the narrative this year, and I did not enjoy any minute of that moment. Yeah, there's not a lot of things rougher than missing a chunk of a mission pack. Uh, And that's why I think it's a skill that a lot of people could stand to use a little bit of help with. 
so let's let's go ahead and put this one out to uh, Ben starting off here, because I know you are a uh, person who travels around to a fair number of tournaments, uh, even though you are new-ish to the 40k scene. Um, what is the very first thing you look for when you're picking up a mission pack? Is if you're traveling to a new tournament and, and you're sort of like cracking open something you've never seen before, where do you start? What do you look for? Uh, I look for a familiarity. No, oh, okay. Um, so I'm looking for I'm looking for so since the majority of the missions I play are ITC based, I kind of look for I'm like how similar is this to what I already know, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of go from there and make my adjustments I need to go from there. Um, uh, is there going to be maelstrom cards? Is it going to be uh, book missions? Is it going to be chapter approved? Is it its own thing? You know where where what's my base I'm working off of and where am I going from? Um, so I, I like I like to work from some place that I know, uh, and then adjust from there because the okay. lists that I have and the lists that I practice with commonly are lists built around that ITC mission set. So if I need to change things, that's where I go from there because I'm like, oh, if this is different from this, I guess I'm not going to do this. You know, it's a it's a relatively logical path to take mm-hmm. uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Sure. Um, Shailen, how about yourself? So. Due to the autism, every time I see a mission pack, it's like it's a brand new thing to my brain. I start from scratch every time because I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see recurring patterns, but that's after I've read it. Uh, usually things I look for are kind of fundamentals, like, okay, how have they structured this? Is the very first thing I've ever have. Like, do they have really set fixed rounds? Are these short rounds or long rounds? Mm-hmm. Are they using things like, uh, how are they defining objectives? Are these placed objectives and fixed? Blah, blah, blah. So I start asking all of the questions you ask when you look at a new mission and mission pack set, which is, we'll go into detail a little bit more in a minute. But yeah. I just start like looking at things like, okay, here's the header about painting. How much more paint do I have to slap on my army? And I answer them for myself as I go through. Sure. And then once I get to the end, I start asking, what does my opponent need to kill me from this? I think that makes sense. Um, Those are both very valid ways of kind of like approaching uh, and... You know, obviously they each have their advantages. If you're if you're approaching as though it's a totally new pack, um, chances are you're less likely to miss something important uh, because you're not making any assumptions. But on the other hand, if you're approaching it from a point of experience and saying, I already know how most of this works, so I only need to learn the 10% that's different, then you already have a lot of conclusions and information that you're familiar with that you can build off, so you don't have to start from the very ground floor. Well, speaking of starting from the ground floor, yeah, that's that's the first place I start, that's terrain. Terrain is so underestimated. One of these days we're going to do a whole episode just talking about terrain and how to deal with it. Uh, but for now, I would just say know how they play their terrain. That's so important. Um, or at least do the step zero. How do we define terrain before you even start putting models down? Yep. And mission pack wise, I'm looking at like LVO, for example, the top yep. 100. You know, am I expect if I expect to play on those, I'm definitely going to tool around playing that. Mm-hmm. Or the pro or pro tabletop with how they have everything is the same, no matter what table you're on, that doesn't change. So you can definitely adjust what you're going to do and how you're going to play that game based around uh, just those 
just that set that train set up before even walking into a tournament, which I almost like more than going to a random store that I've never been to or a random event and not knowing if their train is heavy or light or what exactly I'm walking into. And in fact, I even sometimes message the TOs to be like, hey, what type of train am I looking at here? Um, even if it's not like listed in the packet, because I really need to know if I'm going to, you know, make that investment to travel to an event. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've certainly done some, uh, we'll call research on tournaments I've intended to go to and just like look them up on like Facebook or whatever in past years and see if there's photos of the event that I can like take a gander at what they can, what their terrain is and what they consider. Cause like, if you ask someone, do you have heavier light terrain? Well, they might say, Oh, we have really heavy terrain. There's four pieces per table. It's like, well, okay. I, that's, I guess you can consider that heavy terrain if you want to. Well, what if the four pieces are, like, two feet in size? Sure, and that's something that you won't know until you look at a picture. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, terrain is absolutely enormous. Um, And kind of in a similar vein as, like, starting right down at the very bottom level, army construction rules. Yeah, Uh, like, uh, Sean and I are attempting to attend a team tournament, and there's thousand points you know what happens at a thousand points you get two freaking detachments that's a big example of something that changes up two detachments and only two of each unit also yes that's something a lot of people don't often think about but can sometimes change with differing point levels uh if you're playing a 2500 point tournament which there are a few of around there's not a lot of them but there are a few of them you that means you can have four each of units that can change a lot of stuff Yes, and there's also uh, in the in the army construction rules, like ITC standard is basically what GW does. But in some of the missions, like in narrative ones, they have attacker and defender, and you're only allowed to take out so much of certain things. Sure, they does get restricted, so it's important to to understand that and know if they have, like, say, advanced army submission. Yep. Like LVO does. Yeah. Getting your list submitted ahead of time is. Highly important. Don't get yellow carded for no reason, kids. Yeah. <laughs> also, as an FYI, you don't gain that much of an advantage posting it in advance than you do the night before. Most of the time, people get a week to look at it, so it doesn't freaking matter, guys. Some people are way more picky about it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it it does definitely depend from tournament to tournament there. I'm still waiting to find the tournament that lets me run five detachments, because Chaos is super detachment-starved, and I would yeah. love to have a, a, a five-detachment Chaos list. That would be fantastic. But um, I, I'm yet to find that tournament. You know, that sometimes you have to make the tournament that you want to happen. <laughs> but actually, detachment limits are a, a good thing to kind of just touch on real quickly here, uh, because some tournaments will set them separately from the GW recommendation. Um, you will see tournaments that say, you know, you can only have two detachments in 2,000 points, or one detachment in 2,000 points, or you can't bring more than one battalion, or you must bring a battalion, yep. or any number of other restrictions. Uh, these, I certainly would not say they're the standard, but they're not that uncommon. Yeah, there was one you and I were going to while that required a battalion or brigade. Yep. And also monofaction back when that was a thing. Right. And it still exists here and there. Oh, it's making a comeback. Huge yeah. comeback. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, it turns out tides make the Grey Knight Army work. Right. 
Uh, but all of these, like these army construction things, these are things that you really want to be looking at in advance because you don't want to pay 150 bucks to travel to a tournament and buy your ticket and all of that and then find out a week and a half beforehand. It's like, oh, the army I usually play is illegal here because, I mean... Because you weren't allowed to bring flyers. Right, or whatever it was. Or Forge World models, for that fact. Yeah, that's another really common one, actually. Forge World, some tournaments just don't like it. And whether some some of them will have, like, one limit, you know, one model limit, or no Forge World at all, or only a specific subset of Forge World. Um, and this all plays in, again, to, like, you have to bring a legal list. That's the very first step to playing in a tournament. <laughs> Yeah. Um, also, there's decisions you make in your list, such as warlord traits, psychics, and relics, and sometimes those can be fixed in place, too. Yes. Um, some tournaments are very good about spelling this out. Some are not. Uh, you may need to send word over to the TO and kind of like ask them, like, hey, how do you guys handle this? Um, because warlord traits, psychic powers, relics... Um, any or all of those may be either fixed between games or changeable every game. Some some tournaments even let you change your warlord from game to game. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that, like, if they're not in your army list, you may have a problem. Yeah, at Adepticon, you're locked. Yes. Uh, so that make that makes some lists that I would not play Chaos Knights at Adepticon. I would tell you that. Yeah. Uh, you're choosing you're you're choosing all those pregame uh, things based on what you're going to play against. And if you have if you're locked in from round one all the way to the end on one, no, uh -huh. that that's that's half that that army's strength. Um. So no, I that makes that army not a list list not a play. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. They also lock psychic powers, don't they? Um, for this year in Adepticon, I believe so. I know the majority of all your pregame choices are 100% locked, and that includes, like, Chapter Master and everything else. Right. So there's, like, that really shifts the way some armies want to play. Chaos Knights being, obviously, a super good example. But even a lot of the, the Space Marines and other armies have a lot of pregame stuff that they will often vary about, and being forced into specific ones of those for the whole tournament can really change your game plan. Yeah. Um, now, admittedly, I've practiced playing under the circumstances, and I'm like, okay, here's my generalist set of psychic powers, and here's my what I need for this battle list. Sure, uh, but knowing what you're what you're getting going into that is very important because it may change which powers and stuff you take. Uh, if you if you know you're going to have to have the same powers the whole game you may not take any, you may just sort of like, well, I'm just going to take the ones that are merely okay most of the time rather than being great in one situation. Mm -hmm. Also, a, uh, a pregame thing that is very important is deployment styles and deployment maps. Yep. Some tournaments will have fixed uh, deployment maps for each mission. Some of them will have you re-roll at each game. Uh, some of them won't even use the standard deployment maps. Uh, so definitely, definitely make sure you are checking out exactly how they're handling deployment. Also, on the note about missions, uh, there's a RTT we occasionally go to that locally to us that you don't even play the same game always. Sometimes you literally roll up a game each right. round, and it's different from the table next to you, and it's hilarious what can happen. Yeah, uh, some of them do use random missions. That's 
that's usually only RTTs, but if you're traveling to an RTT, it's just like, you know, half an hour, an hour away, you definitely want to look into that. Yeah, with uh, with RTT playing, um, you definitely want to know, like, what three missions are going to play. Like, are you playing 4, 5, 6, mm-hmm. you know, 1, 3, 5, like, what is, what's going on here? Because, like, there are, you know, some missions that are far more favorable for some lists and some armies, while oh, some are yeah. a bit favorable for others, so... Yeah, the the missions in particular, which specific ones you're playing out of a pack, because, you know, all three of us are West Coast players. We play a lot of ITC because that's sort of the default. But as Ben said, 135 versus 246, especially the previous season of ITC, where those were fixed, the all deploy versus alternating um, made a huge difference. And that can be true of all kinds of different mission packs, not just the ITC mission pack. I had a weird one where it was you deploy to, they deploy to. So I was like, what? I guess just to speed things up? I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. So I think the other thing that we have uh, sort of like skirted around at this point, but is super, super important to look at is scoring. Specifically how the scoring works for whatever mission pack you may be playing. Progressive versus endgame is the the really big one, because those are two totally different kinds of games you're playing there. Yes, and some missions, such as the ETC missions, do both. Yep. Uh, you can get all sorts of weird hybrids in, in that sort of thing. Ben, what's what's the, the weirdest mission pack you've ever run into? Just out of curiosity here. Well, with my limited experience, the, the only like weird mission packs I've run into have been from like narratives oh, yeah. and leagues and such, not specifically any like any like tournaments. I, I've I, I have viewed a couple or browsed across a couple in my time, but never actually okay. played them. Um, but I, I've definitely been in like you know play through like a zone more a zone mortalis you know weekend right. and such like that where there's all these like crazy rules and packs and I, there's some really cool stuff going on with like specific tournaments like I just got back from a GT this weekend uh, in Central Valley and like there's they're doing mm-hmm. a War Master series and you score points it's like a separate essential small mini game where you're you're trying to get your mm-hmm. warlord to do all these things. Uh, and it's going to change your gameplay because you want your warlord to specifically pull off these objectives and like cast psychic powers and do you know accomplish like one of like twelve different things right. that you can do during a game, and you get a point huh. for each one you accomplish. So that was it, that didn't change the ITC missions, mind you. It was just like an extra thing, but it did change how players played because um, some people were trying to win that little Warmaster prize. Sure. So I've done uh, this was at Boise Cup and previously Guardian Cup was the achievement awards. Very similar. Right. Um, and I've gone to narrative GT tournaments, which had some intriguing mission design. Yeah, we won't dive too deep into that because it's a whole rabbit hole of its own. I mean, there's also double scoring with costumes yep, yep. And, <laughs> and, and, sportsman, and sportsmanship and army comp. Yes. And, like those, you know, that's, you can go 3-0 and and not finish anywhere close to first, so... Yes, that's absolutely like the soft scores have become a lot less common. They're they're more typically these days, they are kind of separated out into their own categories. Uh, But there are a fair number of tournaments who still use them. And it's very much worth looking into like, does this tournament have soft scores? And if so, like, how are they calculated and how do they factor in? Yeah, 
um, we actually run tournaments that are all about the soft scores, really. Mm -hmm. So another one that is also uh, kind of in a similar category is objectives. Are they fixed locations? Are they placed by the players? Do you measure from the center? Do you measure from the edge? Uh, these are some like pretty big distinctions that there isn't a lot of agreement in. Doesn't help that the big rule book says play with whatever you want. Yeah, even even ITC does not actually define the size of objectives. Like everyone uses forty millimeter objectives pretty much, but. That's not actually an ITC rule, even for LVO and BAO and SoCal. That's just a thing people do. What if I used a 40.5 millimeter one? You know, you, you start getting crazy. Oh, you dirty cheater. We'll lynch you in the front of the mob. Well, we also have the, uh, the, the, the mats that people use now with the 40 millimeter plus three inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that those, those are useful if you're using edge of objective, mind you. Right. I believe some of those companies also produce center of objective versions as well that are exactly three inches in radius. So, you know, you have a phantom objective there that you measure from the center of. Um, a lot of the companies that make those actually have the three inches from the dead center as a line because these are printed. Right. Secondary objectives, um, you know, sort of beyond the just like literal objective markers, are another big one. Uh, the sort of the bonus points that you're you're scoring. Um, a tournament that is using the the chapter approved or base rulebook missions is going to be very different from uh, one that is using like Nova or ITC styled uh, pick your secondaries. Uh, so make sure you look at those and actually read what all of those say. Actually, that's maybe a point we should uh, kind of like make here. Actually read the packet as opposed to just like sort of skimming over it, especially if it there are specific wordings on specific secondary or primary missions, because you really want to know exactly what that says. Guilty as charged. <laughs> but yeah, looking for the, the very specific details there, because sometimes they will have a little bit different wording. Um, and we have the advantage now of it being relatively easy to contact the TOs. Mm -hmm. Usually they will have an email or Facebook group or something that you can contact them on. So if there's something you're not sure about and you're kind of like, well, I think it works this way, but maybe they have a different idea, just talk to them about it. There's many a story of me getting things uh, clarified because their interpretation is vague and there isn't an FAQ for them, so I have to go get them clarified. And Yep. Reading the packet helps me clarify that too. It's all part of that stuff. Mm -hmm. The other one on secondaries to focus on, at least, is what stacks and what doesn't. The ITC used to have some stacking, not anymore, but other mission packs may still have uh, objectives and such that stack. So if you, you know, definitely want to examine that and make sure you don't, you know, uh, accidentally screw yourself out of scoring four secondaries or more secondaries because you, you thought they could stack and then they don't. Yes. Uh, or that you have, you know, a single, like, 40-point unit that somehow gives up full secondaries on two different missions. And it's like, oops, probably shouldn't have brought that. Yeah. Um, or someone's done an ITC altered where it's like, oh, all the secondaries stack now for some reason. Weird. Yeah. 
uh, you will see all kinds of weird missions. So it, again, read the packet, go through and actually like see what it says, because they people do all sorts of weird things because they think it's the best way to do it or the correct way or the way that they prefer. Uh, so don't just assume that the mission pack is going to be like the one you're used to. Mm hmm. So the one other thing that this is, this is kind of a personal pet peeve of mine and something that can really steer me away from a tournament if I see it present is win-loss versus battle points for determining the tournament's overall winner. Oh. Contentious. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not going to dive real deep on this one. Um, suffice to say that I think battle points are a terrible idea and encourage play that is not fun for many of the participants involved and do not generate a winner that is good in a way that I think tournaments are, should be rewarding players. It also hamstrings armies, some armies completely, because there's just some armies that can't score them more than 25 points that well or easily. Like, yeah. It's it's relatively it's relatively bad on a, on a lot of fronts. Yes, and I think that is the general consensus, although not universal, unfortunately. Well, also there's the armies that get seal slapped in this format too. It's like, hi, I just gave right. someone a king crowning because they played me. Right. Uh, so that is another thing you should absolutely keep a lookout for on the mission pack is. Are they using win-loss or battle points? Um, and just to sort of clarify for people who are not familiar with those that terminology, win-loss is using more of like a Swiss-style system or something similar where all wins are always better than all losses. Um, you know, even if you score a, a three-point win, that is better than a 23-point loss, uh, whereas battle points simply sums up your total points scored from each round and adds them together into a score and whoever has the highest score at the end wins as opposed to the player who is undefeated yep so let's go ahead and kind of like turn this thing around just a little bit before we we hit the intermission here what are what are you looking for you know once you've read through the packet what are you looking for that your opponent can use against you or what are you what are you looking to avoid Particularly secondaries, um, I try to, you know, look at my list and go, okay, what secondaries, specifically in the kill secondaries, do I give up? Um, in the new ITC mission packet, that's not as big of a deal, um, mm -hmm. but still definitely a big deal of just like, hey, if I take eight of this instead of nine of these guys, do I give up full gangbuster or not? Um, so there's, you definitely have to, like, you might tool your list a little bit around just what secondaries you you will give up to your opponent and what your opponent could easily take uh you could also you know might want to put you know put yourself in a position to even like bait your opponents um you know if i'm running mm. if i'm running six characters that headhunter looks pretty tempting are those six characters ever going to see combat or going to be in a situation where they're easily killed maybe maybe not right um but you can definitely you know have some things that you do give up full secondaries on but they're gonna have to fight tooth and nail to get them yeah or in my case, uh, my army would save secondaries, so I stacked them all in the same units. Right. Because you can't stack them. Yes, they don't stack, so it's kind of like, well, this one is worth, you know, gangbusters and uh, big game hunter. Which one do you want? <laughs> Are there any other specific uh, sort of like weaknesses or flaws to a, uh, a mission pack that tend to jump out for either of you? 
if I'm seeing a mission that has like five or six objectives and it's going to be very board control based, I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't play the like 20 model elite army. That might be a bit more yeah, difficult yeah. on me because I'm just going to auto lose to anybody bringing 250 models. Um, doesn't matter how many I kill, um, they're going to score more in bonus because all the bonuses in most objectives are based on uh, board control and holding. So you're giving up. Right. The, the thing I like to tell my friends and people that you know looking to learn and play this game better is three point turns will win. Yeah. You don't need to score four and fives. As long as you're scoring three, you're gonna win. Um, so you know, hold bonus kill. That's all you need. Um, and there's a lot of lists out there and a lot of missions out there that they're that they take advantage fully of those you know five objectives uh, plus or four objective maps or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of conversely, like if you see a lot of you know, really more than like one or two, two or three objective missions, or God forbid someone is using a one objective mission like the Relic, um, that's kind of your signal that like this is going to play out real differently than a five or six objective mission is going to. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing I look at is... Uh is are there secondaries that are just going to be hard for me to score? Have I milled my army such that it can take advantage of all the secondaries? Sure. Uh, yeah, because being able to deny your opponent is just as important as uh, being able to score them on your opponent. Mm-hmm. Which is why I try to be able to use recon, for example. Right. Well, I think that uh, basically covers this whole first little bit here, talking about the general mission packs. Uh, Why don't we go ahead and take a quick little break, refresh ourselves, maybe get some musical interlude, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the ITC missions in specific and sort of how how we all view this new mission pack as looked at through this lens. Hey, Sean, do you think the musical interlude can have flaming guitars this time? How many flaming guitars do you have? Seven. All right. Well, we can we can probably put one or two in. Seven guitars it is. I missed one thing in the pregame. Um they didn't want they didn't circle back on i should i should say what books are they allowing because some are just like a month out before some are like we allow books up until the friday before like that's pretty important i kind of forgot that one that's my bad yes that that does that kind of plays into the you know sort of army construction rules but it would have been good to mention specifically yeah up at the up at the beginning so yeah yeah And we are back. So let's jump into talking about the thing that we are all, I think, exceedingly familiar with, uh, which is the ITC missions, and it's particularly these new ITC missions that just came out. Uh, I know a lot of people have been discussing them a lot, and there's been a lot of kind of back and forth about whether they're good or bad and what everyone thinks of them, but setting all the sort of judgment aside... Uh, Let's look at what we think the the big changes and what we would, if we were picking this mission pack up going to a tournament, which we probably will all be doing here pretty soon, uh, what would be our takeaways from all this? So uh, let's, let's, let's roundtable this to start with. What do you think the single biggest change is for the new ITC mission packs? 
being able to score two points in a turn as opposed to one on many of the secondaries. That's definitely a thing. Ben, what do you think? I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start from the beginning and say deployment, changing around how completely how deployment works, um, and taking away C's and such is absolutely just completely game changing. Yeah, if I if I had to pick any one single thing, I would probably have said the the change for C's is maybe the single biggest one, um, because. That one in six chance can really upend how your game plays. Even if you don't actually get seized on, the potential for it to be there was always a really big deal. So that is absolutely enormous. And I think that's what the most discussion has been about on these missions. What what are you guys' opinions in terms of how that will actually affect play? Like, what do you think that's going to push people to do? I think... Defender is going to be sought after. Um, going second oh, yeah? is actually going to be. Um, you can build. Hey, you can build this to go second. Choose to go second. Sure. Uh, and you, there's an onus to. There's a lot of bonuses of getting of going second. Um, mm-hmm. So like, it, it's no longer a go first and alpha strike style of game. Um, at least that's what that's where the missions are trying to push the game. Mhm. Mhm. Shailen, do you have any thoughts? Um, I, I'm going to admit something to both of you, and that is that I'm on the ITC Torganized page, and I have seen 17 different versions of the new ITC missions, and I don't know which one's the real one right now. <laughs> A little bit of information overload, huh? Yeah, I haven't really sat down and really read the new packet because I can't figure out which one it is. Mm, fair enough. Yeah, the new attacker deployment defendant deployment style is obviously really big first off you roll high to choose and you can choose either or it's no longer roll low (laughs) no no more lose the thing to win the the mission kind of nonsense um another one that is I, i won't say it's not being talked about at all but i think it's maybe not being talked about as much as i think it deserves to be is the defender getting to re-roll the deployment map um, there are a lot of deployment maps that can be very punishing for certain armies. Um, mm-hmm. For example, if you're playing Raven Guard and you get stuck in like pointy Dawn of War or regular Dawn of War, that can be pretty rough right there because you just don't have the depth to get away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're the defender and you can re-roll that deployment map, that is going to be really big. I didn't realize that was a thing. Oh, that's my favorite part of the of that is that you aren't yeah. you aren't starting a game going well hamburgers uh, and praying for a seed. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, cool. I can. There's there's a lot of play here. And as I said before, like when you win that role, you have the choice. And like based on what opponent yep. you're playing against, you know, based on if are they Raven Guard? Well, I'm not going to be a defender for that. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but like there's. There's a there's a lot of really good scenarios and it gives there there's a lot of really good tactical decisions to make at that point. It's no longer as random or as variable based, and I I'm a fan of tactical decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it does push the skill component of the game further. There, um, I I think another interesting facet to that is unit count is now irrelevant. It doesn't matter how many drops you have. Mm-hmm. Because in ITC, that was already kind of a thing, because in half of the missions, it didn't matter. Uh, but now it's all of them. Um, so there's no point in, like, manipulating drop count or any more of the, the shenanigans there. 
I don't hate it. Um, I I don't think it's strictly better or worse. It's just different, at least from my perspective. As an orc player, uh, commonly going second against elite armies such as knights, that always uh, that always left a rough rough taste, especially in the first season uh, when it was all that way. And it's like, cool, the six model army gets likely going to go first. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, it did definitely bias things in a very specific direction in terms of like first second. But, you know, the game just is what it is. Uh I'm I've always been kind of a proponent of like, you know, don't just take your preferences as the correct way. Uh so just sort of play with the tools that you're given. Mm-hmm. So there are also a number of changes to the primary missions, uh, some of which jumped out as pretty big to me. The bonus points are a lot easier to get now. Yeah. There, I look, None of the bonus points looked like things that were just like, oh, you're not going to get this. Uh, they are all pretty plausible to score over the course of the game, which is big. Um, as Ben was saying earlier, like three-point turns win games, and bonus points enable three-point turns very easily. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also, um, it, what it's going to change is probably the average ITC score in general. It'll probably trend up a bit, yeah. So we're going to start seeing those, instead of being more like a 28 victory, maybe it's more like a 30, 32 victory. Yeah, you'll see slightly higher scores now, definitely. Um, another thing to pay attention to was on concessions and buys. That's mm. an auto-score 30 now instead of an auto-score 20. Yeah. Well, no, not for concession. Not for concession, but for buy is what I meant. Yeah, but for the buy, getting a 30 means you're no longer, like, knocked out, um, which it wasn't, like, a huge thing, but it, it is nice for the person who kind of gets stuck with that, because it always sucks to get the buy anyways. Um, yeah, round one buy doesn't, like, also oof. submarine you anymore. You, yeah. If you get the round one buy, you're, you're, you're at 30. You're, you're up with the big dogs, so. Yes. But uh, I think the other thing that really kind of uh, leapt out to me is with the the changes to some of the adding an objective to several of the missions and the way the objectives are placed, um, there is a very strong emphasis on midfield now. Uh, You really need to be getting into the center of the board and controlling those objectives in almost every mission. Hmm? One of my favorite changes is actually on the Nexus Control mission. Yes. Um, there, there, there's the. It's usually a forced no man's land, which mm-hmm. if you're like a shooting army, you're pretty happy in Nexus Control most of the time. Because um, yeah. a lot of times those objectives aren't near any terrain or anything like that. The idea that we place them now, but we're still placing them outside our deployment zones in still a no man's land scenario makes me so much more happier. Um, yeah. Because you, you can play around it a little bit. I mean. For, I've been playing a gunline-ish list for a little while now, so it'll be harder for me now because mm-hmm. that mission—that mission's been easy, uh, but now that mission's going to be a bit harder. Um, but I like that 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 gives play, and now you can adjust more to the terrain you have and what's going on with specifically with that table instead of just being like, "Oh, Nexus Control on this table." Well, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and there's a lot more uh, player-placed objectives as well. Uh, I think there's what three or four of the missions are now player-placed objectives, uh, which is a pretty big shift away from the early versions where they were almost all fixed. That is because there was a very strong clamoring. Uh, People basically felt like 
hey, these objectives land where they land and the terrain doesn't land in anything convenient. So they're sitting there out in the open and it's 8th edition, everything dies. This is not fun. Yeah. Well, and also player-placed objectives are another one of these kind of like it allows players who are more skilled and understand the game better to leverage that into advantageous locations for the objectives. Uh, I think it's another area where, like, it is more, it becomes more about skill than just sort of like, did I happen to get an enclosed ruin next to my objective? Mm-hmm. My, uh, my favorite mission has been mission four um, in the previous season, uh, just because of the player, of the tactical decisions you get to make during that. That is what's mine is yours, the five objectives you each place two and one in the center. I'm sorry, it's what's yours is mine. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. Thank, uh, we're thank not sharing you, here. You, you I'm shot me it. down hard there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, that has been that has been my favorite mission for quite a while as well because you have that central objective that sort of ensures that it's not going to do just two to two draws all the time. Uh, but then you each you have two each player putting two objectives down, one of their own and one of the enemies. Um, so there, you know, you can be placing your objectives so to prevent the enemy from putting theirs where they want it and pulling all kinds of shenanigans like that. Uh, and I, I, they basically didn't change that mission at all. And I'm glad because that mission is really good. Um, so what do you guys think of the new secondaries? Uh, there were obviously a lot of changes there. Uh, the biggest of which being splitting them into the maneuver and seek and destroy choices and forcing you to take both of them. Um, was there anything that jumped out as you as like specific missions that were going to really change things? So my very first impression there is this is the part I actually got to read and do kind of know what's going on with. Huh? Uh, is that there's less of them. It's true. There's no longer like a dozen and a half. <laughs> uh, which is actually a nice simplification. Uh, a lot of the ones they had, they simplified things. They just took mm -hmm. sentences out. They made it smaller and easier, which I think is a boon to newer players because it's less learning. Yes. Um, see, having seen many a person like play their first ITC game and spend a solid 10 minutes just reading all the secondary objectives, like, pick your poison, what's that do? And I was like, I'll save you the time, it's garbage. <laughs> I usually go, I'll save you the time, pick these. <laughs> right. I, I usually sometimes like to tell my opponents, like, Here, here's here's the here's my the secondaries, my list vomits, because orcs mm -hmm. just... Well, previously oh. vomited, just vomited secondaries. It didn't matter what they picked, really. Um, so it, it was... I like the new secondaries. It does take away a little bit of that. I do also, um, as you mentioned, I prefer... I like the fact that they have to pick from multiple uh, with, seek, with uh, seek and Destroy and Maneuver. Mm -hmm. The one that sticks out to me the most um, that I love uh, is Born for Greatness. I absolutely oh, love yeah. that that new one. Um, it's, it, it's, it's fun. It's flavorful. Uh, and I can imagine a lot of demon princes running around and scoring mm -hmm. that all day. Yeah, Born for Greatness and Postman um, both have, I think, a lot of potential for some some interesting things to occur. I don't know if either of them are good yet, but they're both interesting and new, and they're not like any of the objectives we've really seen up until now. Mm-hmm. How how do you feel about the balance between the the maneuver and the seek and destroy ones? Do you think either of them are like clearly sort of advantaged in general, or do you think that most people are going to feel pretty fine about taking one of each? I think a good player isn't really affected at all. 
Um, people who build fundamentally unbalanced lists might feel punished by this. Mm. But you built an unbalanced list, guys. I mean, there might be scenarios where you where you actually score all of your secondaries, um, your maneuver secondaries by turn three, uh, which is relatively valuable. Um, yeah. And especially in, especially in some places where, let's say, you don't you weren't put on a chess clock or your game didn't finish all the way. Ooh, yeah, I've been true. in scenarios where, like, I didn't score my last recon point because we didn't get past turn three. Um, right. And now that that's an opportunity to do so uh, is... It's a, it's a bit bigger. You should be finishing your games, mind you, but like the fact that you can score those secondaries by turn three, it, it also changes how you play. It's like, do I do I deep strike this unit in over here now from behind enemy lines? That was another right. big change is the fact that it's, it's, yeah. it's where that's scored now. It's at the end of your turn instead of the beginning of the next. Um, yes. <laughs> that's so much better. <laughs> um, so the maneuver ones, I think if you have an army that can score them um, relatively well, you definitely want to be earning those bonus points. Yeah, my general impression was that the maneuver secondaries all got easier to accomplish for most people, uh, and that they became more valuable and more useful just as a whole, because before a lot of them were just not very good. No one took behind enemy lines. Um, no one took Kingslayer. You mean King of the Hill? Or King of the Hill, sorry, yes. You know, so, so I said, like, I took a lot of Kingslayer, and that one's gone now. Yeah, as I was say, Kingslayer, completely gone. That is really big for all of those tank commanders and, you know, Grandmaster knights. knights. Grandmaster, <laughs> well, I don't think there were a whole lot of Grandmaster Dread Knights running around getting punked by that. Character Knights. Yeah, Character Knights. Um, even just six-wound characters. Um, like, it, it is surprisingly big. Uh, the fact that that is just completely gone and nothing replaces it. Mm-hmm. All right, so so let me throw out a little bit of a uh, a personal question here. Do you think old school is good in this new format? Um, old school has sort of been like put down as consistently not very useful by a lot of top players. Do you think this is going to make it more useful, less useful, or just kind of like still sitting in the garbage? Being that old school is the one thing that stacks these days, and it explicitly says so. Yep. It has some inherent value there. Comma can't be a crutch because a lot of people consider it easy to do and it's not necessarily it can be deceptively hard to do yeah um i do think it's a valuable asset in the system but as i said sometimes sure the way i look at it for old school specifically is a lot of times you're gonna score your last two old school points in games you're winning anyway um Mm. they're not these aren't games that you're not these aren't closed edged out games and if you're losing the game um, scoring more than two old school points is going to be relatively difficult and you want to be able to always score your secondaries and have those come from behind mm-hmm. or have games where you're like where you're nearly tabled but you still won in points um, sure. old school doesn't allow you to do that um, so you, you feel it's really kind of a win more thing where like it just it only wins you the game when you're already winning the game you pulled the words from my mind I was going to say it's definitely it's kind of a win more uh, win more scenario there are you know you can pull off line breaker there is ways to like get the three and the four four points out of old school uh, in a game where you're losing but um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of scenarios where like if, you, if you've been losing the game from the start 
you're not going to score any old school points. Where I can I can probably pull, eke out um, some other secondaries quite a bit easier. Uh, or even if my opponent has like a you know a leaf blower, leaf blower list, I can still hide and run around and you know just either score hold mores and bonuses and such, and just play the mission. Uh, right. And in this particular addition um, and the style of list we're seeing, um, that old school isn't in a great spot. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Um, even in a game where you are trying for a blowout where you want to get that like 40 or 39 point victory old school probably has only limited value because you would be able to get those four points off of a different objective if you are blowing them out that hard anyways yeah if you're if you're tabling them you're getting 40 anyway <laughs> yeah you're you're gonna you're still gonna struggle although that is one little interesting thing um that if you table someone, you can potentially be getting five points per turn rather than four you could get before. Um, it's not a big change, but it is going to bump up a few of those top-end scores a little bit. I have a, I have a quick question here because I didn't see this part, obviously. Sure. Is that you default five points per turn? No. What? So the, the change is that if you table your opponent you may play out the rest of the game to score points, mm. but are presumed to be getting hold more, kill more automatically. So if you are able to get the bonus point, you can. Okay, that is a big difference. Yes. It takes away the feel-bad of... I did this to an opponent, actually, this weekend. It yeah. takes away the feel-bad of literally having to stop your game and go, I kill your one unit, and I wrap the rest, mm -hmm. and, I end, and I end my turn. Yeah. Yes. And then next turn, I kill you yeah, just so you can score the bonus point. That's all you're doing it for. It's not for the kill, kill more. It's literally just for scoring that single bonus point for the next three or four turns. And that's not a good feeling. No one likes doing that to their opponent. And I nope. definitely, no opponent likes that happening to them. So I'm glad that that's gone. Yes. It, it really did put players in a situation where in order to perform the best they could at the tournament they had to do something that was not fun for them or their opponent uh and that is you don't want to be setting your missions up that way uh and that is exactly why i don't like battle points because it it, it sort of uh, encourages that same kind of behavior of like well this isn't going to be fun for either of us but i need to do it if i want to have a chance at winning the tournament and then the other side your opponent could rob you of those points and just concede yep yeah um, like they're like, I don't like you. I know you could score all these bonuses here. You know, lose lose five points because um, I'm just going to concede and give you a 36. And I think the really amusing thing is the ITC concession rules now just fall in line with how most people played concessions. Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't know if I ever met someone who strictly speaking conceded using the itc concession rules uh you have oh yeah josh death oh yeah okay he he talked about a game with scar where they were doing that and that was a thing oh yeah 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 so it is exceedingly rare in all of the games i played when someone quote conceded it was always a sort of like okay well i know you're gonna win so i'm just gonna give you the win because we don't need to play this out and here's what will happen for the rest of the game yeah we may or may not have had a practice game while it was like that earlier 
You get lots of games like that. That was the reason why the the ITC rules were so absurd, because they they basically told you to do a thing that no one would ever do. Mm -hmm. So do either of you have any last comments you want to use to kind of like wrap this whole discussion of the new ITC missions up? Thoughts on what you think it's going to mean for the season or uh, feelings about where it's going to point lists? Well, I want to comment one last thing because we, we, oh, we sure. kind of left we kind of left an elephant in the room here. Um, we can there's a secondary that allows us to make our opponents not score a straight up denial one called Sappers. <laughs> Sappers is very interesting. I do not know how I feel about it yet. I haven't really had any test games using it. I think that it is a lot less influential than some people believe it's going to be, but it is going to be a gotcha now and again. Yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty big because it's the it's the first of its kind. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at my thirty orc boys who would love to be sappers, um, you mm -hmm. know, and sit on a middle objective and deny that, but they're also holding it at the same time. So there's 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 some question marks there. What's a good sapper? What's a not? And what exactly you're going to do to score it? and stop your opponent from scoring it but mm -hmm. it's the it's the first of its type and it I, I like this, i like to see that it's there yeah anything that is unique you need to at least pay a little bit of attention to this kind of goes back to our whole discussion of like assessing the the gen the general mission packs uh as anytime you see something that you've never encountered before and that is really unusual you need to pay extra attention to how that works and what that means uh, because you don't have any experience with it you don't really know how it works you need to read it really carefully and think it over and probably talk with someone about it and and kind of do all that the the steps there uh to do some extra analysis on that thing and also get which one is the most official current one straightened in your head so you don't have my problem. Yeah, well, that's probably not an issue most people will have. <laughs> but yeah, sappers, I think a lot of people are going to try and a lot of people are going to do really badly with and maybe some people are going to do very well with. But we don't really know at this point, in part because... Uh, Reese and company are still adjusting it a little bit and kind of tweaking, and there's a lot of questions of like, okay, what does this line actually mean, Reese? Because everyone seems to have a different idea about how it functions. Mm -hmm. So they're they're still doing some clarifications there. But Sappers is definitely one that you should try out in some of your games just to see how it works and get used to playing with and against because maybe it's not important but you do need to gather some data before you make any kind of real decisions there well do either of you have any final comments to wrap things up or is it you think we covered this one pretty well i think we covered it pretty well just like, as you said read it up there's a lot of little tiny changes that aren't as big uh and especially yes. in the itc packet um, every mission, for the most part, with I think like except gangbusters changed. So there, is there certain things that are going to affect certain lists, like yeah. the game hunter scores against venom spam now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of fun small things to pay attention to. That if you haven't looked at the new packet or you're trying to take a list from old packet to the new packet, you might be be in for a surprise. Yes, absolutely. Just add a highlighter if you have to. Yeah, whatever whatever is going to help your brain take in the new information. 
And if you do want some of those extra voices, someone to kind of chat things over with and maybe get a better feel, provide some, um, I guess maybe, maybe we won't say expert opinion, but opinions, definitely mm-hmm. opinions, um, then we do have a Patreon. And if you donate to our Patreon, you can join up with the Discord channel as well as our Facebook group. Uh, we are in the finest hour on both Patreon and Facebook. Uh so thank you very much to all of our Patreons who have supported us through what was a little bit of a difficult time for the podcast, but we've kind of come through it. And I'd also like to say thanks to Dank Muse, who has provided the intro and outro music for this episode. You can find him on YouTube as well as Spotify and SoundCloud. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our awesome micronography and art, Stephanie Sherman for doing our t-shirts, and uh just gonna say that we have a twitch stream in, in the works yes we are we are working on some more stuff coming up here as we're getting new equipment and new places uh so we'll probably hear some announcements about that in the future and i think that is everything for this episode so hopefully you will join us in uh a week or two here depending on how quick we are on the trigger as we talk about 40k jargon all of the strange little terms that we use and why we use them. So, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>